0: So when I applied to GoJobs, there, like, there was just like nobody else there. They're like, oh, I guess we'll hire you. We don't like you very much, but that's all we got. Uh,
1: you, 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 you can use the keyboard. That's good enough. Here, come come work with us.
0: Imagine that Facebook, I don't know if they're the right example at the moment, but let's just <laughs> pretend they are. Meta opens up a new role for a junior React developer, right? And It's fully remote. Like imagine mm-hmm. the number of people that are applying for that role. Like you're competing with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Um, Mm -hmm. Your resume is probably going straight into the bin. So there's like something to be said about doing the thing that not everybody is doing or not what they're qualified for. Like doing something Mm -hmm. a a little esoteric, a little strange. Great to have you on the show, Trash.
1: That's me. I don't even know my real name anymore. For being honest,
0: <laughs> <laughs> why did you brand yourself as Trash Dev? Where where did that come from?
1: So, rewind to the beginning of the pandemic, which I think was March 2020 is when it started. Uh, so that's when I stopped going into the office, and I was like, well, I want to talk to people because I love going to the office and just hanging out with like other engineers or whoever. So that's when I started streaming on Twitch, and I was like. I need a name. So, uh, given my imposter syndrome and other things, I was like, let's give the viewers low expectations so they don't come in and backseat code me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I was like, let's just let's go with trash. But trash was like taken. And I was like, coding. So, let's just try dev and it worked. And then I just stuck after that.
0: It's a big shame that you had to get that underscore in there. Did you try to grab the handle without the underscore first?
1: <laughs> Dude, I was, yeah, I imagine the word trash is just like, <laughs> so common. So I, I, I try to get it on all platforms it's like literally impossible to get the word trash just because you know that's like one of the words that one of the most commonly used words ever
0: (laughs) i actually started boot dev then like the same month you started streaming it was like when the pandemic broke
1: is that what like encouraged you to do it was it just like what am i gonna do now
0: actually no i think it was just completely coincidental i like as the pandemic like had started, it was like the week or two before that like the news had really circulated. I was going down to Lake Powell. I live here in Utah with with family. And I just kind of like coded the first iteration of the platform like on this seven hour car ride with my laptop. It just kind of worked Did out. Did I get but, car yeah, sick? <laughs> No, I the effects of starting to get old have only happened to me in the last couple of years. Like <laughs> now things start to affect me, but like in, in my earlier twenties, it, it wasn't a problem at all.
1: So were you just hanging out in the car and you're just like, I'm just going to do whatever this random idea popped into my head?
0: (laughs) No, no. Like I'd wanted to build something for backend developers for a while in the education space. Um, I think backend development has been lost and forgotten amidst all the front end frameworks, but it just was convenient timing.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like internet's definitely, the louder voices are definitely like. The front-end community which is i think it's because there's a lot more churn going on in that space right? there's always something new happening right whereas you think about back-end a lot of those languages are old and pretty stable right so that's like why i think like you have like such an imbalance of voices there uh, but yeah it's interesting
0: <laughs> yeah I, I i've thought a lot about this i think like my current working theory is, that, is like that there's two things. First is that the front end world like moves way faster technologically in terms of like new products and frameworks. So there's just like inherently a lot more to generate buzz around if you hang out on tech Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. But also I think front end developers tend to be like, th- this is me just stereotyping now, tends to be <laughs> a little more personable <laughs> and enjoy creating content more. So you just get more front end people like inherently sharing and stuff on Twitter. Like the vast majority of backend developers like you probably can't even find their social media accounts.
1: Yeah, I mean if you also think about it, like front end development's visual, right? So it's like if it was back end what would you show? Just like code snippets and then maybe like benchmarks or something, right? Whereas when you think about front end development, it's, ooh, animations and Look at these et cetera, API et docs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting space. Like I I've, I've always thought about this dynamic between. And I'm pretty new to tech Twitter, maybe like a year in and, and I I, I it's crazy to me that there's like this ecosystem within engineers and there's like this like social status almost within the <laughs> engineering community, which is just like blows my mind. If I told my friends that there's like a hierarchy of nerds on the internet, they'd be like, Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone like weird. nerd sniping each other on Twitter. And it's like such a small community comparatively. If you compare Tech Twitter to like the actual tech world, it's like unbelievably tiny. If I pulled 15 of my past coworkers and asked them who, the most popular tech Twitter personalities I know of are—I don't think any of them would know who they are. Uh, yeah, like my coworkers literally don't
1: part. go on Twitter, and it's great. I'm like, don't go there. <laughs> I don't even talk about—I don't even bring up Twitter in general. But I couldn't imagine being on a team where everyone was on tech Twitter. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, that'd be weird. Every <laughs> yeah, team I've been on—I've only been on tech Twitter for the last couple of years, like since starting boot dev. And like, yeah, no one knows. It's—it's it's a small—it's a small isolated world, that's for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So I want to get into your story and talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into tech. Obviously now you stream code, you work at Netflix, but a lot of times kind of the origin stories get lost in the noise. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the first time that you really started to code. It could even be like pre learning to code. Like what was your first experience with any sort of code?
1: So I'm a very old man. Uh it was in high school, and the only way I could go to a different school where all my friends went, basically, our school district, they opened up a new school, so all my friends were going to this other school, and I wasn't zoned in it. But the only way I could go is if I joined their magnet program and go to that school. So the what I did was in their magnet program, there was an Oracle Academy for databases. So if you're not familiar with Oracle, it's like a database okay, yeah. thing. So I went, I entered their SQL Academy and i did that for two years just so i could go hang out with my friends um so that was like my first like introduction to just like programming in general obviously like it's not like c sharp or c or whatever but it was database related and it was like my first like exposure to like the it world i guess you could say uh, but i never wanted to be an engineer programming never crossed my mind uh, i actually in college i don't have a cs degree and when i did have a programming class i did terrible because i just. I hated it. I just did. I did do good good in school in general, addicted to video games. And that's all I did. So I graduated and I couldn't find a job. And this was like during. So if you think about the economy now, back in 2008, nine was a very similar time. Everyone was having job freezes and stuff. So I I got out of college and all my friends that were like with CS degrees or like IT focused degrees, they were all getting jobs during the summer. And I was like, I don't know. And I was just stuck during the summer, like with no job. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I took three programming classes in college. I think, I think there were programming classes. So I went on Craigslist and there was a link that just said programmer one. And I was like, whatever. I just clicked it and applied.
0: Classified and Craigslist. That's, uh, that's an interesting strategy. It was
1: crazy. Cause like back in the day, it was like monster.com was like the main one. Uh, I don't even think like LinkedIn was a thing. I'm like really showing my age here, but uh, yeah, like Craig's was like my last resort. And I just like searched technology section and then I saw that and they called me up and I had to do my interview on paper and I just had to do like a couple if statements. It was funny. I was just like, I did that. And I was like, there's my, that was my first job. Uh, walked was,
0: into a physical building, sat down, they handed you a pen and they're like, what does an if statement look like?
1: Exactly. If you like if, if you've ever thought about school and you get like the teacher passes out paper for your test, it was just like instead of multiple choice, it's like write, write write a paragraph of like your answer. It looked like that. It was like three questions like spaced out on paper. And I just had to write if statements like different kind of conditions in each one. And I was like, What is this? Luckily, like I knew what an if statement was. I wasn't like a programming wizard, but yeah, and it was a mainframing programming position it was interesting
0: what that is okay hold on back up this is really interesting to me when did you graduate high school what year oh three okay and you... and then you went to college no sorry mm-hmm. you went to college but didn't get a cs degree no no what was your degree in
1: Biz... this trying... business administration and <laughs>
0: and some other theory. in some like other term there was
1: like it was okay. like mixed with it but like, let's just be honest i didn't i didn't do anything there
0: <laughs> got it okay so you went to college so what you graduated college like
1: 2007 uh so i actually transferred schools and they didn't count any of my gen eds oh, no. so my first two years just disappeared so i had to do them all over again so i graduated in 09
0: okay so you graduated like at the bottom of The 2008 recession, or I guess right as we were starting to maybe climb out of it.
1: Yeah, basically, as I was graduating, I actually had some jobs lined up, and they're like, We can't, we're freezing. Like, we can't, we can't hire anybody. I was like, Now my plans are shot. That's why I was like, During the summer, I was like, I don't know what to do. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you were applying for jobs that like weren't tech related, like business, like more pertinent to your degree, I'm guessing, like business management type jobs? Dude, I
1: had no aim in life. I was (laughs) just like, I have a people like my teachers would tell me to apply to these companies. So we'll get, we'll get to, to this later, but I had a job lined up at IBM to just be like a technical consultant or whatever. Right. But out IBM of had a hi- yeah. So IBM had a hiring freeze and that's when I go find another job. So a year, let's just fast forward real quick, but we'll get back to that. A year later, IBM then called me back and was like, We'd be we want to hire you back but you have to take like a math assessment and it was like all calculus and stuff and i was like oh, thank no. god yeah. that like i remember math from college like i used to love math okay. i don't even know algebra anymore but in college i love math so i did the math assessment did great and then thankfully like ibm was like what kicked off my like technical career
0: got it okay so you went back to ibm later after this first job where you took the interview on the the Pen and paper, okay. Exactly.
1: Mainframe programmer, and then, and then, thank God IBM called me. (laughs) It was, it was like like we we need
0: you. Main, main, mainframe programmer was a role in two thousand nine. That's crazy to me.
1: So I didn't realize how dated that technology was. Because again, I'm not. I wasn't like a programmer. I wasn't really into the technology scene. But I knew when I sat down on my computer. Like, if if anyone has been to a McDonald's fifteen years ago, it just looks like a green screen. That's what I was coding in. Like no auto. It's like a nasty
0: terminal. Yeah. It's just
1: like a green and black terminal with like awful font go to statements everywhere. <laughs> it's it's crazy. like what the matrix
0: like falling numbers was based on. That look, right? Dude,
1: like, literally, yes. But <laughs> but worse because you're actually in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for some of our some of our listeners might not know what a mainframe is, right? This is older technology. What's the difference? Between a mainframe and like what we do now, and what did that tra- what did that transition look like when we stopped using mainframes and started using, you know, personal computers?
1: If you think about mainframes, like they're still heavily used in our industry. If you think about like the fin- like financial industry, like most of them are built on mainframes, and you can't just migrate off of that. You know, like you put Bloomberg your entire terminals. foundation at risk. If you try to migrate from that, so a lot of companies are using mainframes today. And for like for the full picture, we had a person come in with tapes, back up our stuff, and go bring them to a vault down the street. And that's how we did our back. You say tapes?
0: What What do you mean by tapes? Like magnetic spinning discs, like hard drives?
1: Yeah, like a legit tape, and we plug it into our system and we write all our data to it. And we'd have like eight tapes, <laughs> and he'd walk out in a suitcase that's locked, like as if he was like went as if he went to a bank. <laughs> puts it in his truck. It goes like an armored truck almost, and then go drives it to a vault and locks our data in there.
0: Okay, that's nuts. All right. So, how long were you at mainframe company?
1: A year and a half.
0: A year and, and a it half. was. Did you say? Sorry, I'm getting my my storyline mixed up. Did you say you were writing SQL for this role?
1: No. So so let's like, let let's, let's fix the timeline. So, high school, junior year to senior year, I was doing SQL. I All right, class Oracle. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then college at the business degree, and now we're at the mainframe stage. So okay. we did. I did that for a year and a half, and IBM was like, "Trash, we need you." And I was like, "I need you." They said so it. I like did Yeah, I didn't realize how dated this technology was. And I was like, "There's no way, like, I'm doing modern stuff." Like, code. Like, no were way. you writing at the main? A couple. So some Fortran, some COBOL. The main language was called RPG four. So I was on a AS four hundred, which is a IBM mainframe. I don't know like the exact specs, but I know it's like an RPG four, and RPG is like a language for that mainframe, but we also integrated with other systems that were like on Fortran and stuff. Uh, And then there was this other language called Lanza, which created visual, think of Tableau or something that just created visuals from your data. Um, I don't even, I think it was called Lanza. I think that's an acronym. So if anyone's listening, look up Lanza. I don't know. And those are like my main languages.
0: It, It was, it was crazy. Yeah, Absolutely. that's that's a different world. I my career started a little bit after that, so I'm familiar <laughs> with what mainframes are, but I have not had the displeasure, is how I would put it. Yeah, just imagine a huge,
1: solid machine just sitting there.
0: <laughs> I'm crazy. guessing it was all on prem, like you had all the equipment in dude, your yeah, office.
1: Dude, when I went to go back up tapes, I go walk to another room, and it's like a wall of just switches and. It looked, it just looked like a scene from the sixties straight up. Like when you think of like operators plugging stuff into the wall, when people call, it looked like that. And then we were like writing to a tape every day at 5 PM, we go in there, and we write to a tape, put that tape in a different, dude, it was crazy.
0: No, that's nuts. Do you, do you look at that? You said year and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you look at that year and a half as a valuable learning experience? Was there like, not everyone gets the chance in 2009 to work with that kind of technology. I know we're not using it day to day, but it sounds mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Yeah. It was my, it was like pretty much my introduction to programming for real. So like I said, when I was in college, I didn't, I just played video games. I didn't really take academic stuff seriously. Uh, but when your livelihood depends on you being a good programmer, it changes the whole psychology around it. So like, now I'm like, oh, if I'm not, if I don't get good at programming, I can't pay rent. Yeah. So it was like from that moment where I was like, I will just sit there, buy books and just read about it. So I just don't, so I wouldn't get fired. And that's like the moment when I was like, okay, this is like what I'm going to be doing probably for the rest of my life. And I never actually, it's weird because I always hated school, but when you get paid to do it, it's just, you just try so much harder. I don't know. It's, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, you don't want to fail. Like that you know what you mentioned earlier about imposter syndrome, like that's mm-hmm. that's real and I and like I do have a CS degree, but I imagine mm-hmm. and I experience imposter syndrome from time to time, especially earlier on in my career, and it's like mm-hmm. without a CS degree, I imagine it's just even worse, potentially we need to circle back to what games you played in college because like boot dev is heavily we're huge video game nerds boot dev is like based on like dota 2 and world of warcraft in terms of how we've gamified the platform what games did you play the most
1: so i actually played counter strike professionally for two years and that was like my last two years i was just competing and i would play like 12 hours a day of cs 1.6 so that was like my main game for for years but then i able to go pro and that's when like my last two years of college i was just focused on that and it was like so was the pro scene lucrative
0: back then i know twitch wasn't really a thing yet
1: dude i wish i wish twitch was a thing when i was in pro gaming because a lot of the people that i played with are now super popular on twitch so there's like like nothing from evil geniuses and hiko and all these other people i used to play on teams with and like my biggest regret is that twitch does didn't exist because I felt like my personality and persona was so good for it. But yeah, it's interesting. Kind of like we didn't really get the recognition we deserve. So like the whole thing was like land tournaments. The only thing you knew about anything is like you communicate through MIRC. I don't know if you remember what MIRC is, Yeah, but it was like that chat client and everybody was on it. It was basically just a big chat room and we would just travel the U S and just compete. And then we would go to world tournaments and yeah, it was it was interesting, but that's how like I would get money is we would just have to win these tournaments. Top three, you get paid out. So we would just we were, we we're based on the East Coast, so we were just going up and down the East Coast, just like crushing all these noobs. It was it was amazing.
0: <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I never was into Counter Strike myself, but I watched. Uh, did you did you know about the website Counter Stick? It's like early two thousands, like Flash.
1: Videos. No, the big site we were on was Gotfrag, and that thing like fell apart at some year. I don't even know when.
0: Oh, okay got what, counter stick was just like animated joking videos about counter strike that i thought were hilarious but like oh i, I probably didn't get saw all the those then okay yeah. i definitely saw those it was then. like stick gotcha. figures playing counter yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> dude there's a lot of those videos with the stick person that that are like crazy good animated there's like a lot of kung fu stick figure people too i don't know it's nuts
0: yeah the early 2000s were great for flash everything like flash games flash videos i
1: i often i often reminisce about the early 2000s it was a much better life i feel like for me <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, I feel that cool okay so we've we've fast forwarded to your job at ibm so what mm-hmm. was it that made that's kind of like like what was it that made ibm re- you said they reached out to you why, why was that
1: so my the school I went to, and it wasn't like a great school or anything, but they were just one of the schools that they recruit from. So a lot of colleges like have a subset of colleges they always go and do like on campus interviews for. So I I got one of those on campus interviews and I just happened to like do good on it. So I was able to line up line myself up for a job there. So that was like like I think I just I don't even think they asked me anything technical. It was like all personal or just behavioral. And I guess like I won them over somehow, thank thank God. Um, yeah, And that was that. It was crazy.
0: Okay, and how long were you at IBM?
1: Probably a year and a half. Dude, I w- okay. it was actually a crazy situation. I was like sleeping under my desk and working like 12 hours a day. My job was to convert um, a classic ASP web platform to ASP.net and then convert... Okay. A lot of the like complex queries into some stored procedures, so I was able to use my Oracle background there because I used to, and I was just writing like a lot of PL. They call it PLSQL, like programming language SQL, where you can actually just like write actual like it just looks like a like a function essentially in SQL. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of that stuff, but I was like working way too hard.
0: <laughs> What's your life situation like? Do you have do you have kids do you have a wife are you like in a relationship how, how are you able to spend so much time at work i guess is my question
1: well at that time right that was a long time ago so i was like you know a year and a half out of college so i was just like i think i had, I had a girlfriend like my current wife or my wife it's not like i had any other wives but my <laughs> wife now uh, she was my girlfriend at the time and we both moved up the, she moved with me to go work in ibm so i had a lot of time right because it's probably like early twenties, you know. Yeah. Have to pay the bills somehow, right?
0: It's a whole different like you think about time. I, you have kids now, right? I, I mm-hmm. feel like I hear you mention them from time to time. I also have a couple yep, kids. Yep. You think about nice. time like way differently once you have kids. It's it's a much different type of resource than it was before.
1: Yeah. So I have two kids. How, do, how many kids do you have?
0: Two, two and a half, and four four month old.
1: Okay, I have a. Almost two-year-old and a about to be five-year-old. Okay. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I know how you feel. I know. <laughs> yeah, time right now is I literally don't touch my computer outside nine to five. It's because, like, you know, switch to dad mode. and, But it's good to like, have that separation for sure. It keeps you like on track.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like before kids, it was like everything was a mix. So just my gaming life, like working out, getting work done. It like you could just kind of mm-hmm. do it all at any time. There wasn't there weren't hard constraints. It's, it's a little different now. So why did you leave IBM after a year and a half? That's not like a super long tenure.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it was mainly the work-life balance. It was just like absolutely crazy. Like I remember my coworkers would come in and they would see me sleeping under my desk. And they're like, what are you doing? I was like, I had to work till like three in the morning because we had a release. And they're like, what the heck? And I was like, yeah, when you're young, you want to prove yourself and you want to, I would never do that again. But it was mainly because okay. I was just like, just work to death. Wasn't honestly, wasn't like paid enough for the, what I was doing, at least in my mind. And I had friends that were working at other places and I would often hang out with them and they'd be like, well, why don't you come work at my company? And I was like, okay, why not? Give me an interview mm-hmm. and I'll try it. Cause uh, so that's ultimately what happened. It was, just, it was just like not a healthy situation for me, you know? The moment you're sleeping under your desk, you probably know something's wrong. I,
0: I've never done that. <laughs> like, I feel like I've worked hard in my career, but I've never literally <laughs> slept under my desk. That's like a whole. That's a different thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's me either. And I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, this can't be. This is this can't be normal. Uh, so yeah, that's what kind of up to that. It was, it was crazy.
0: Yeah, that's wild. Okay, <laughs> I, I have a couple of questions regarding that whole thing. First, year and a half at the time, to- I have two questions for you. At the time, were you worried that only being at kind of two different jobs for a year and a half each would be like a black mark on your resume? Had you wished you'd stayed longer? That's the so question number one is at the time, were you worried about it? And the question number two is in retrospect, did it actually matter?
1: So there used to be like some kind of stigma around people jumping companies, right? If you ever saw a resume and you saw they were like leaving companies, they're like, well, he's probably just going to leave my job in a year. So at the time, I was thinking that, but you know, I'm never going to sacrifice my own well-being for my company, right? I'm sleeping on their desk. I'm not going to stay here. I don't, I don't care what that means for me in the future, right? But I, I always leave my companies for good reasons. I'm never just like leaving to leave, right? There's always something that's going to be like pushing me somewhere else or a reason why I want to leave. If we go back to the first job, IBM called me back. Of course, I'm going to go work at IBM. IBM at the time was known as like one of the best companies or top companies tech wise to work at and i was yeah. like yeah i'm i'm like i'm coding i'm coding mainframe stuff yeah i'm out of here like it's 2009 so yeah and yeah and unfortunately it just didn't work out like it was good like i learned so much from just working there but you know yeah i think i think that's a common misconception at least nowadays where it, it can i'm sure it's like some people or some places it might hurt you if they see you jumping from job to job but i feel like if you have good reasons and you can't really fault anybody for leaving their company. Right? There's always, And I think I don't even think you can ask, to be honest. You can't be like, why'd you leave? Why'd you leave? Why'd you leave? Uh, just, you know, I have faith in people usually. And I'm just like, I'm sure they had good reasons to leave. So I'm not going to hold it against them.
0: Yeah. So you recently published a video where you talk about learning and earning. And yeah. I have, yeah. And I have like, actually have a fairly similar kind of work history in the sense that like, my average tenure at a company is like two years. And for me, at least, it's been like, you know, I feel like I go into a company, I, I get up to speed within, you know, a couple months, and then I can go hard for a year, mm-hmm. two years. And by the end of two years, I slip into this rhythm where I feel like I'm just doing the same things every day. And so that that's usually why I end up just leaving and finding something new, assuming that there's not some crazy reason to stay, you know, a huge raise coming up or some, you know, options vesting or something it's if i if it makes sense to move like i'm just gonna move at least in the past things have changed this year right with all the layoffs but in the past it's been easier to get raises if you move Mm -hmm. every couple of years than by staying within the same company i don't know if that's been your experience as well but yeah
1: the main reason usually why people leave is they just want that bump right it's like usually i think i'm just gonna make up a, a number but i think usually when people leave it's like at least 10% bump raise, right? Whereas usually if you stay 5%, 4%, what have you. Yeah. To be honest, like those numbers aren't even like that different. I remember I used to leave jobs where I have left a job for what I thought was like a way bigger pay raise. But then when I looked at my check, it was like a couple hundred dollars extra. And I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Um, so I stopped like thinking about the money unless it was like significantly different. And I, I leaned more on the learning phase right because like i said in the video i just i'm very i found like this newfound passion for engineering like maybe maybe 5 years ago and i th- think i'm thankful for it because now i'm just like so driven to like, be the best version of myself and you know uh i just just want to be smarter in general right i always want to feel like i'm like putting doing my best work so i just always have to be learning something new and as soon as i'm not doing that then i'll go somewhere else but i always make sure like I'm doing my best work at that company. It's not like I'm like not doing anything. You're like, eh, oh, whatever, I'm bored. See ya. It's like, you know, I'll do what I can do for them to the best of my abilities. But at some point it's like, you know, there's not much else for me to do. It looks like we're kinda of stable. All right. I guess I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna move on. And and I don't like burn my bridges or anything. You know, I keep relationships with all my previous coworkers. But you know, there just comes a point where, you know, it's like you said, like after there's a point where everything gets repetitive and you're just like going through the motions and yeah. i don't really feel fulfilled unless something crazy is happening which usually doesn't happen once your your products become once you enter like that sustainment with just small features here and there like it's kind of like i'm just fixing bugs and whatever right
0: yeah once the like adoption s curve of the product has like, tapered off at the top again it starts to get boring uh exactly. it seems like the hardest exactly. problems are oh, the hardest problems are getting solved. Like. On that exponential growth trajectory and then it starts to get a little yeah exactly um, exactly that makes sense so i'm actually noticing a really interesting pattern I, i've recorded now i don't know when this podcast is going to get released yet but i've recorded about 10 episodes so mm-hmm. far and i've also noticed this in in, in you know the co-workers that i've worked with but it seems to me that a lot of developers who've been in this industry for five plus years their start is often it's some like weird, esoteric, like strange company, right? Like you worked at this mainframe company. I worked at like basically a hardware company that was like slapping sensors on bridges, like writing weird (laughs) little scripts on raspberry Pis to get stuff done. Um, I talked to TJ DeVries and Melky recently. Both of them had similar like first jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder if like did did we all stumble into these jobs on accident? Or is there like a strategy for new developers there? Is it, e- is it just easier to get jobs at like funky companies when you're new? Do you have any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I think at least for me personally, it's like, I'm just, I'm going to grab whatever, whoever wants me first, right? <laughs> and if you think about it, like the tech industry is interesting. I, I can't, I don't, I can't really compare it to how it was in, 08 to how it is now or 09. But I imagine like someone like not a lot of experience uh, is probably uh, hold on, let's, let's back up. Let me see how I want to word this. Uh, It's a very interesting question. So for me, like my previous point, I just reach for whoever wants me first. I don't I don't have enough experience to be picky. So it's like, I'll, like Twitch didn't exist at the time, but it's like, I'm pretty sure Twitch went up on me. Like I didn't really have a CS degree or anything, uh, but I didn't even try to reach for these huge tech companies. Cause I just didn't, I just didn't think I had it anyways, nor was I actually really aware of the tech scene at the time. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm just, I'm just applying locally. Right. It's like whatever mom and pop shops around or whatever. And I wasn't really part of a, like a tech hub city. I right? was like a small town, small beach town, not a lot of tech in general. So I think by default, I'm already like pigeonholed to like these smaller tech companies. And I think it's also just a side effect of the time that we were in. So 2008, you know, there wasn't many job boards, like, through, like LinkedIn and like Twitter and all this stuff, like social media was just not where it was back then. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. being able to like network with people at these bigger companies just wasn't at least at the time for me i didn't know how to do that right so i only knew how to look like literally like in the yellow pages if anyone knows what that is but it's like a little book that had like listings of all local businesses that's like one of the one of the things that i would use to like you know look up whoever's local to me so i think it's like one side effect of just the technology at the time that kind of just kept me local to my ignorance at the time no different from like people or juniors reaching out today on Twitter. So I didn't have any yeah. mentorship to help me there. Uh, and then three, just desperation. Like I just need anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, who wants to hire me? I don't care how much you're paying for me. It's better than $0 an hour. I will, I just want the experience. So I think like all those kind of culminate to to where I end up. Granted, I could have worked at IBM out of the gate, but because because of hiring freezes, that just wasn't a thing. But, but even if... Even if that IBM thing wasn't a reality to begin with, I still would have ended up where I was because at the end of the day, like they didn't hire me out of college. So I had to go do what I had to do to get a job. So I think like all those things and just the time and the place and just where tech was at the time was kind of that way. If I had to compare it to today, it would probably be different because one, I would probably be on Twitter asking for mentorship. And then I would hear all these opinions and I would see all these cool people working at cool places so i will try my best to work at those cuz you know if you're as a junior i think it's really easy to be influenced on these kind of platforms so if i had that in my in my mindset i would probably aim higher for sure uh, but yeah i don't know but not everyone not everyone's built the same some people don't want to work at big tech and some people like startups and it's like you know different strokes for different folks you know what i mean
0: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for people that can get those like immediate, g- amazing jobs, like right out of school or, or right after, you know, self teaching or whatever. I think that's fantastic. I just find it interesting. Like you said today, if you like follow tech Twitter or a bunch of tech YouTubers, you'll hear a lot of the same advice. And one thing that interests me, I don't have any data to back this up. But <laughs> one thing that interests me is the idea that like, if you experiment with stuff that people aren't really talking about, You might have better success, right? Nobody was really telling me to go apply at these weird companies around town, but like it ended up working. And once you get that first job, I think it gets a lot easier to get the second, the third job, right? Like Mm -hmm. any experience on your resume just makes it so much easier to move around within the industry. So I think I think there's something to be said of doing weird things, right? And it's you can't I can't really describe what weird things are, but almost everyone I talk to in tech has like a weird entry into into the tech world. And and I think that's that's telling in some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I kind of puts a new thought in my mind. Like if you're, the companies that I was working at or like maybe these smaller companies, they aren't considered sexy, right, in tech. So it, yeah. that are by default just like excludes a lot of people, right? So your competition pulls a lot smaller. And especially if they're just small mom and pop local shops, they're not even on the radar internationally or nationally. It's all just local. So you have just your local competition, but then if it's just not sexy tech, then your competition's even smaller. So you know what I mean? So it's harder for them to find candidates to begin with. So if you come in waltzing through the door, ignorant as anything, they're like, please work with us. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Imagine that Facebook, I don't know if they're the right example at the moment, but let's just (laughs) pretend they are. Meta opens up like a, a, a new role for a junior React developer right no back end experience required and it's fully remote like mm-hmm. imagine the number of people that are applying for that role like you're exactly. competing with tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people um mm-hmm. your resume is probably going straight into the bin so there's like something to be said about doing the thing that not everybody is e- e- either just not what they're doing or not what they're qualified for like doing something mm-hmm. a little a little esoteric a little strange i feel like a lot of my early success in my career was due to the fact that i loved go like back before go was nearly as it's still not like this huge language but it was even smaller back then and so when i applied to go jobs there was, just like, there was just like nobody else there they're like oh, i guess we'll hire you we don't like you very much but that's all we got uh, you know you, you, you can use the keyboard that's good enough Here, come
1: come work with us
0: <laughs> yeah exactly okay cool i want to get back to your story so you go to ibm uh, and then you leave after a year and a half. Where do you go? So IBM was
1: like government contracting. So to get, paint a picture of the location, this was Northern Virginia, so Washington DC area. The primary like tech there or the industry is going to be like government focused or defense focused or whatever, because you know that's obviously the capital and etc. Um, so at IBM, I was doing DoD called Defense Department, or I forget what DoD stands for. Uh, anyways. Could Department matter. of Defense. I said Defense Departments, Then I? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Department of Defense. But yeah, it's just like DOJ, DOD. Pretty much like you need a clearance for this kind of stuff too. So like one other thing, how to get a clearance, et cetera. Um, so I went to another similar firm, just I, like IBM, but a smaller like a smaller one called Booz Allen. And they were just also specializing in government contracting, etc. cetera. So basically you get hired by Booz Allen, but then they contract your team out. You right, know, some Navy projects, Air Force projects, etc. Uh, so there, I was doing .NET, and then I was doing ActionScript. That was like my first introduction to ActionScript. And this is when Flash was still alive, because that's how old I am. So Flash was still a thing. So I was making Flash apps, doing a lot of. And it was a Microsoft stack. So one thing to note is the government is very heavy Microsoft. So it's Microsoft up and down, like nothing yeah. else. So obviously, like SQL Server, .NET. Uh, They're
0: paying like crazy Microsoft fees just to run to, Microsoft yeah, server. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like my my machine just comes loaded with everything Microsoft, everything I could ever want from Microsoft was in there. Um, so yeah, I was like, I basically, ever since I was doing like DoD stuff, I was just stuck in this Microsoft ecosystem. So a lot of C Sharp, SQL, and then the ActionScript stuff. And not really any JavaScript. The JavaScript came a lot later, okay, but ActionScript yeah. was of like my intro uh to what javascript is today it was interesting
0: yeah that makes sense and how long were you working there
1: yeah same kind of story about two years uh so, okay here let uh, here's the interesting bit so i stayed there for two years left went to a like a like a web agency to do java and i was like i don't know java and i was like my friends like, you want to come do java i was like What's that? And I was like, I didn't know. It's like, again, like I wasn't like a hardcore programmer. I just did whatever I was paid to do. A
0: web agency doing Java. So this is back-end Java monolith. How does that?
1: Yeah, basically the agency had their own custom CSS that was powered by Java and they had their own custom Java framework. Um, So it wasn't even like Spring Boot or anything. It was just our own in-house one, which actually was like really, really good. Um, Wow, Anyways, Yeah, so... I would build out all the features for the CMS that just powered all of our client sites. And you know, a lot of a lot of that. And that's actually when I got introduced to JavaScript. But I only stayed there for a year because it was actually like toxic there for me. Agencies and I was back. Can get tough. Dude, my first day, this person was sitting next to me and they just started crying. <laughs> and I was like, and they like ran out of the office. And I was like, what, what, what did I do? It was my first time programming on a Mac too. Cause obviously I've, I've always been on a Microsoft stack or whatever. So I was like, I had a MacBook and I was like, what is this? Like, I don't even know what Mac OS is. Like what, what is this? Uh, but just to like give a high level overview, I stayed there for a year, went back to Booz Allen and stayed for another four years. So it was like six oh, years wow. at okay. uh, one so company, which is Booz the longest Allen. I've ever been. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I was like really good friends with all my people there. Like we were all like, it was pretty much like, running a small company within like a big company of just all your best friends almost. Right.
0: That's awesome. So it's like,
1: but like we're still doing our job, but it was just like, I don't know, just being surrounded by all your good friends. So it was like really, really, really fun. I mean, the work-life balance is really good. So.
0: So another four years at Booz Allen. So like now we're getting up into what, like 2017, 2018
1: timeframe? Yes. Yep. 2018. Exactly. Yeah. I think so.
0: Are you at Netflix yet or not quite?
1: No, 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 no. Dude, I've been I've been around the block. <laughs> so after I went back to Booz Allen, that's when I so I mentioned briefly at the at the agency I got introduced to JavaScript. So, I used yeah. to, so all the back end engineers sat in their own section, and then all the front end engineers sat in their other section. But I happened to be like right where the two sections met. So I became friends with like all of them. You the, were on the back
0: end team, but sat next to the front yeah, guys like both
1: of the edges were like touching each other here's like the aisle they're right here i was right here so i'd be like what are you what are you working on over there that looks cool they'll be like basically making the site responsive and blah 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 and writing javascript and i was like i was like i was like looked at my computer i'm just like in a terminal and <laughs> or like intellij or something and i'm just like i'm like i want to do that so I I mean, used to you go were writing
0: java room. so everything else in my opinion looks pretty much better. Like, exactly, exactly. I
1: was like pretty yeah. miserable in Java, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> like it was it was not it was not fun. So I would go go to lunch with them and they would like teach me teach me what they're doing. Like I remember one time the one thing that like made me want to do front end development is the engineer that I was sitting next to me they were making like a web player, almost like Spotify. And I was yeah. like, whoa, that's cool." But I was like the back end en- engineer and I was feeding him all the data he needed to like you know, make this stuff work. And I was like, I'd rather do that. And that's like what flip my switch. So when I went back to Booz Allen, I was like, I want to do JavaScript only. And they're like, fine. And then like I started just They just let you hop teams. What was that?
0: Did they just let you hop teams? Switch over to the front end team?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's just one one big engineering team and you kinda put yourself wherever you want to be. So so since it was like a team of backend engineers mainly, no one wanted to touch JavaScript. I was the only one that was like, I'll do JavaScript. Like all of them just wanted to stay in C Sharp and write SQL or whatever. And I was like, I will gladly use uh, JavaScript. But the funny thing is, is that none of them wanted to write JavaScript. So we started using TypeScript back in like pretty early. So we were writing like jQuery with TypeScript, which is really funny. Uh, And then we're using super old frameworks. This was like when React wasn't even, it was like a war between... React and Angular. So this was like, like the timelines. We're jumping around a lot on my timeline, but since I was at Bouzon for four years, if you you go from two thousand eighteen. This was two thousand fourteen when I was picking a okay. framework to use. So I was yeah. like, do you want React or Angular? And I was like, I'll do Angular, whatever. Uh, but yeah, that that like kicked off my passion. So I started my my career off as an Angular dev mainly, and just doing TypeScript. So like I was still using like able to use Type still. I wasn't like in the wild west or anything even though it's still sketched in TypeScript, but yeah.
0: Okay, cool. I, so I have a question here that I, I think will be interesting to our audience. A lot of the people listening to this podcast or or going through boot dev have done some front-end and actually had the opposite flip in, in the sense that they decided they didn't like front-end very much and now are learning back-end development. And one question I have for you is, what's what's a, like one of the differences that you see in terms of like, Interviewing for front-end positions versus interviewing for back-end positions. Because there's tons of interviewing and like career building advice for new developers. But a lot of the times the people giving the advice um aren't necessarily like putting in a disclaimer, like this is how you should interview as a front-end dev, this is how you should interview as a back-end dev, and this is how you should prepare. But as someone who's clearly had a lot of experience doing back-end development, like kind I of made a switch to front-end development, how would you delineate like? the the career building experience for those things.
1: So let me let me confirm your question. You you're asking yeah. what are the differences in the interview process between front end and back end?
0: Almost. Yeah. How would you, what are the different things you would do preparing for a front end role versus preparing for a back end role?
1: Hmm. It's interesting because when I switched to front end I still had a lot of experience so my interviews were still pretty, like, difficult in the same vein. So I would say, like, for my back-end interviews, a lot more focus on object-oriented, like, patterns and stuff like that. Uh, definitely more, like system design around like databases and just overall, like more higher level, like system design stuff. Are they more like architectural? Yeah. But obviously more backend oriented. Like how would you like, you know, communicate with, from this service to this service, or how would you architect this? So it scales when you have X number of requests, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like you think about more about like performance bottlenecks and stuff, at least for the positions that I was working on, Uh, but then also just like database design, right? Because I was really heavy in the SQL stuff too. So we had to make sure, you know, everything was like normalized. We want to make sure our database schema was made sense. So a lot of those yeah. exercises, uh, but when I switched to the front end, like, I feel like a lot of the positions I did front end for, front end for still required a lot of back end knowledge still. So I still got, I still got those high level system design questions, not necessarily around like performance bottlenecks on the server side, but still like, how would you just, Architecture front-end application, which isn't much. It is different, but in my brain, like being able, they're all just puzzle pieces, and you're just playing them in places. So yeah. instead of just like servers or maybe database tables and their schemas or whatever, they're just like UI components, I guess you could say. Uh um, front-end
0: like front-end only, or ha- have you pretty much always been full-stack when you're working on the front-end?
1: A lot of them have always been full-stack. Whether it's like you know. I'll do some Ruby or some node or what have you. There's been one position after Booz Allen. So after Booz Allen, I went to Capital One and I was strictly a UI engineer there. Uh, Maybe like some slight small small node stuff, but strictly just Angular. It was just an Angular dev position. So my interview there was just like strictly UI and wasn't like too terribly difficult. But again, like for anyone listening, it really depends on where you are in your career. That's really going to dictate the kind of questions you're going to ask. Right? You're like, you're not going to ask someone, you're not going to give the same interview to a junior than you would like a senior or maybe mid Right, right? There's always, because there's different things they're looking for, you know what I mean? Uh, so it's like, my perspective's kind of skewed because when I entered the front end world, I had all this experience with me. So they just kind of like asked me really like high level stuff around architecture and things and like my experience around that versus live code this button or something, you know what I mean? There wasn't yeah. like too much of that, uh, but yeah.
0: That makes sense. So you're at Capital One, you're a UI dev. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get to Netflix. Get me to Netflix. What's next? <laughs> oh,
1: we we got some time. So after so Capital One was my first job I feel like outside of the government space. So the reason why I left Booz Allen was I was just tired of working for the government. Uh, it was just the Microsoft stack. I was like I'm just I'm tired of using .net or I was also like Like, just that environment, I was not done with it. I just want to try something new. So, Capital One was my first, like, my gateway drug, like, out of the government space. Uh, And it was great. And I stayed there, honestly, not that long because we wanted to move to the West Coast. So, this is all happening in like the DC area. And I was like, you know, I'm getting older. I'm eventually going to have kids. Or I actually did have a kid while I was at Capital One. But I was like, while he's still young, I want to move. So, I don't want him to go to school. Then I take him out and then go move somewhere else. Yeah. So I was like, this is the time, like as difficult as it is to move across the country with a newborn. I was like, we need to do it now before he's actually like making friends and et cetera. So I started interviewing on the West Coast, up and down from San Francisco to LA. And I happened to land at a startup called Goat. And if you're not familiar with that, basically, I don't know. Are you into like
0: sneakers or anything or anything like that? do i look like i'm into sneakers like i don't <laughs> so there's
1: like there's like these two big players called one's called StockX and another one's called goat and they're basically like huge e-commerce platforms so you can buy like jordans or like any, any kind of fashion like fashion wear or anything you would go to these platforms and then go buy it so the cool thing is like these people like it's basically like ebay specifically for like streetwear Right. Okay. Yeah. So I can go sell my shoes on one of these platforms and people will bid on it and I'll bid each other and et cetera. So I went there and that was my first uh, React job. So I've been in Angular and all that up until this point. And on the West Coast, apparently everything's React, but on the East Coast, a lot of things were just Angular. But I was like, for me, it was like, okay, I want to see someone's talking about Silicon Valley or the West Coast and how tech is so cool. I was like, let me go work with these engineers and see like what they're really made of. Uh, so I was like, let me see how I, how I stack up on the tech scene. So it was like, I went over there and tried that out. So uh, I'm not, we're not on Netflix yet. So after, after goat.com. Wait, pause.
0: Give me the, give me the breakdown of East coast versus West coast tech scene.
1: <sighs> For me, it's, it's harder because I've always been in this vacuum of government contracting which okay. is like in the dc it sounds east coast
0: to me though like
1: yeah it is to be honest i think a lot of the jobs like a lot of people flock to the dc area because when you think about the government the government's always funded so there's always money flowing into there so there's always going to be positions available usually obviously given like the previous couple of years it's not as crazy as it was before but you know the government especially for department of defense you know we need defense So we're going to put money into those programs. So that was like a lot of people flocked to the DC area for that reason. Uh, But yeah, as far as comparing the scenes, I mean, it's kind of apple and oranges just because one's government that I've been in. The other one is almost like it it was a startup. So it was like I went from zero to a hundred almost. It was similar to the agency I was at. I guess that was like like my first kind of taste, but I, I wasn't there long enough to like, and I was also doing Java. So I just purged. Like that job from my memory, like it just doesn't exist. Uh, but yeah, like yeah, if I had to compare East Coast to West Coast, uh, I feel like my perspective skewed just because of my experience. But you know, it's I almost want to say, and people might get mad at me. Like the engineers I worked with in the DoD space were just like, I feel like they were better.
0: <laughs> the 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 East Coast engineers were just actually better. <laughs> that's awesome. So
1: let me, let me, let me back that up though. Cause this is actually going to cause more turmoil. They
0: weren't just script kitties. That's what you're. Yeah,
1: exactly. do well, <laughs> you think about the, the DOD space and like these bigger, sh- like you had to wear, like, like you had to dress up to go to work basically. So that kind of like paints a picture for you. So obviously when you have to wear a tie, they expect to have degrees like CS degrees. I didn't have one. Luckily, like I just had experience. So they let me in, but these kind of contractors usually just hire from Ivy league schools So a lot of just like those, you know, those popular schools that you think like Purdue, Brown, et cetera. So I worked with a lot of those those people. Uh, And I'm not saying like those engineers are better than anyone else, but like from CS foundational perspective and like the way they thought uh, was wildly different than what I worked with like when i first went to the west coast mainly because like when you think about startups like CS degrees became not really a thing especially like my role at this company was more front end focused too uh, like for those type of roles you don't really need degrees anymore no one's really caring about big o right no one cares about the back end really so it's like you know just the the personas i was around was just completely different that doesn't mean yeah. like they're worse i definitely said they were better which is i should probably table that back i would just say they had different skill sets you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't wait so- to cut out the section where you say that and then not <laughs> not provide sh- the context. You should,
1: you should. going to be a <laughs> really, really good clip. But yeah, it's, but it's just, it's just like a different atmosphere. Like a lot of them, you know, like the persona, and like I'm stereotyping them, but like these Ivy League kids, these Ivy League kids, they're like very focused. You know, like
0: not, that's not the not reality like, to it is is my perception. There's like, yeah there's like a more formal feel both in the education that you go through but also just mm-hmm. in like the way you work like i worked at a company where the headquarters was in chicago um, mm-hmm. as opposed to the other companies that i'd worked with that were all headquartered in california and yeah like the ceo showed up in a suit which is like just mm-hmm. weird to me like i started with you know california based companies it's just like a totally different feel
1: yeah i would say if there was like an actual difference i'd say way more laid back on the west coast but again, my my perspective's kind of skewed just because of the environment I was in. Um, but yeah, I would say West Coast engineers are funner so far. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's just again like it's 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 interesting just because of my positions that I was working at were different. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, I think I think obviously they're both good in their own ways. Like they both. But I think like the East Coast engineers were definitely like very focused. Work ethic was like pretty gnarly. So I was at Goat for a while. I was leading the web team there. I was there for about a year and a half, I think. So if you think about if you think about my previous experience, like my, my pattern kind of like a year and a half to two years, and then yeah. I go to a new company. Uh, so I went to Hulu. And are you familiar with Hulu at all?
0: Yeah, the like maybe... little Netflix, little green Netflix. Yeah,
1: exactly, little Netflix. Disney acquired Hulu when I joined, which I didn't even know at the time. I basically joined Hulu. And then like our first town hall was like, we're gonna roll out all these changes because Disney's taken over, and I literally didn't know that. I was like, "What?" I was like, "Cause I just wanted to work at Hulu. I didn't really care much about Disney." Yeah. Uh, but is. anyways, that's a that's a that's interesting story. But anyways, I worked at Hulu. So I was like, "Man, I want to try like the streaming industry." I'm a, like, "I'm a Hulu user. Like, I love their platform. I love their shows, and they're also known for just like paying decent amount." In like the, I was in Los Angeles at the time, so they're known for like, having a little bit higher salary than what I was making, and you know, I was. I was having another kid. I was having a second kid, and I was like, "I, I probably need to make more money because yeah, LA is good. We like that. Yeah, exactly. LA was way more expensive than where I was in Virginia. Like metropolitan areas are just crazy. Uh, so I was like, okay, I need, I need to like look for something else. I love I love my company. It was fine, but you know, in order for me to like take care of my kids in the future, secure like their futures, like I need to like make a little bit more money. Um, but also, I cared about the. The company I was working at too, right? Because as, yeah. as you get older, or as you as you get more experience, you get be more picky. You know what I mean? You don't Absolutely. just you just don't reach for whatever, right? You are like, you know, I know what I like, and I know if I don't do this, I'll be miserable. With that in mind, I was like, okay, Hulu seems like a good fit. And keep in mind, my dream job was Netflix. Like, the whole goal of going to Hulu was going to be my stepping stone, just so I can have like what it's like in a streaming company to go ultimately to go work at Netflix. I was like,
0: why? Why was that? What- what made you think at at, at any point that like Netflix was the place to be?
1: I don't, it's interesting. I I don't know when that thought was implanted into my brain. What I think happened was when I started getting more into programming, because like I said, like my first half of my career, I was kind of just going through the motions and doing the job, but I got really into it when I got into the JavaScript, like front end world. That's when I was like, man i'm gonna live and breathe this stuff and i would just always see like blogs or tech talks and they were always from netflix i was like is everyone that work at netflix a genius because that's like all i see like discord I mean, like, was like,
0: that me- for me like on the back yeah. end side, loving go mm-hmm. and 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 stuff I, i've just been like consuming all these blog articles that discord puts out i'm like i, I need to be a discord at some point
1: Exactly. So yeah, very, very similar, like emotions there. And I was like, man, I would watch their content, not like movies, but like their technical content. I would follow their technical blog. And I'm like, man, like, this is nuts. I would love to be able to call these people my colleague. And then I was pretty ignorant to salaries at the time. I didn't realize like what, like what salary bands were. And like, I looked it up and I was like, okay, now I definitely want to work at Netflix. You know what I mean? So it's like, like, no. (laughs) So I was like, okay. Okay. I was like, I can work towards that if I work hard enough. Oddly enough, when I started streaming on Twitch, is when I actually was able to talk to Netflix engineers, namely like Premagen and my friend Jordan, who used to work you there at You met them the before
0: working at Netflix?
1: Yeah, so. Oh, okay. That's how, that's kind of what pushed me to like actually apply. I never thought I had the skills to do it. So when I first started streaming was when I was at Hulu. So I got my job at Hulu, uh, and this was like the start of the pandemic. So I joined, I think June, 2020, and then the pandemic started in March. So I was like streaming a little bit right before I joined Hulu. And like at the time, like this guy, Jordan was popular and Premogen was popular at the time. So I'd always see him at the top of the categories and they're both on Netflix. And I was like, huh. And I would watch your streams and I would see what they're coding. And I'm like, man, you guys are like geniuses. I was like, I don't even know what you're doing. And I was like, okay. I was like, I guess I was right about Netflix. I guess people are smart that work there. Right. So like like that made me more passionate about wanting to get in it. I befriended Primogen, I befriended Jordan, and they all convinced me. They're like, yeah, you should just apply. Just try it. And obviously my name was Trashative at the time, which means I just had crazy imposters. And I was like, like, there's no way I could ever work at Netflix. So what I ended up doing was on my stream, when I wasn't like, my stream wasn't as big as it was today, I would just sit there and just build, not even talk to anyone really, just code the projects I needed to code just so I could like, You know, I want to make sure I was like, I knew what I was doing and just always constantly learning. So I just built like a ton of projects and I was like, you know what? I think it's time. And I remember uh, I went to Hawaii on a family vacation and one of my friends that works at Netflix lives in Hawaii. So he, we actually hung out on the beach and we're just sitting there having beers on the beach. He's like, just apply, dude. And I remember that day, went back into the beach house and just cold applied. Didn't even get a referral, just cold applied to like three positions And then I remember when I flew back home, I got an email from a recruiter. I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is
0: crazy. That's crazy. You had connections and you didn't even use them? What?
1: What? So this is (laughs) the funny part. I was asking, I was going to, Jordan was going to be my referral and I DM'd him and I guess he didn't see it and he didn't reply. And I was like, I don't want to bug him again. So I was like, I think my resume is good enough for them to call me back, especially because I have Hulu and Hulu is like a direct competitor. So I'm pretty sure that's what got me the interview is because, oh, Hulu, let's poach this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, the rest is history. Like I did, I got the interview and I just, to be honest, I just crushed it. It was a very long process, but I just like demolished it. Uh, and the rest is history, you know? And I'm just like super thankful I am where I am today. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to think that. And like, I think it's wrong to kind of hold companies on, put them on pedestals. Like I wouldn't recommend that for anyone, but like, you know, I just, I was inspired at the time by Netflix and, like, all the engineers I saw, all the stuff they're putting out. And, like, that's what really what drove me, uh, first and foremost. Like, the money was secondary, for sure. But my initial, what initially piqued my interest was just, like, the the individuals that are putting out tech content for them. I'm just like, yeah. this is
0: nuts. You know what I mean? That's such a cool story, man. I, I, I'm i glad you're able to tell the whole thing. I have Dude, one Dude, it's, it's, it's a long story. It's a long story. <laughs> You're old. God. I know. I'm so old. Be like <laughs> five hours, dude. It's like a novel. And I like, I, I planned like that. I plan for an like hour. I, I you're the only that person that's gone long. over. <laughs> I'm just <kidding. laughs> Oh, man. Okay. So I have one last question for you because I want to like tie your story back into, mm-hmm. you know, how our listeners can, can take something interesting from it for their careers. If you had, let's say you had a little brother, 30 years old has worked with computers in the sense that is is tech savvy, but kind of has a self-taught, right? Self-taught programmer, 30 years old, feels like they have specifically back-end development skills. They can build CRUD applications. They know SQL, like all this kind of stuff. What's What piece of advice would you give them? How would you recommend they go about getting that first job? Uh, would you recommend going straight and, and applying to Netflix with no CS degree, but like a bunch of projects under your belt? Or would you recommend looking at smaller companies like how would you talk to that mentee
1: so i wouldn't i wouldn't tell them to aim at specific companies if they want to apply there they can definitely apply there i think what matters is what they're doing in preparation if they ever do get that interview so for me it's like let's and let's let talk about the current tech industry like it's hard to find a job right now that's like no super, yeah. like layoffs happen ton of competition for me like my current recommendation is like you have to build and just get seen whether your product's amazing. If your product's amazing, that's one thing, like you can probably get a job just by building a popular product, right? But not everyone wants to build, not everyone has those ideas. So it's not really for everyone. So then like my other option is open source, contribute to like projects, right? They don't necessarily have to be popular, but it makes your work visible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I do think it's harder for backend engineers to display their work, especially when it's closed source, right? So yeah. what do you have to show? Like you have your experience, but if you don't have experience, how do you, like, how do you, how do you come across as like competent? And for right. me, it's like, you have to build projects and they have to be semi-complex. Like you can't just build hello world things. Like they can't be trivial. Like you have to build some like real world stuff for sure. Uh, but then like even take that further to the open source, uh, open source world to where it just shows that you can collaborate with other people. You know, they can actually review your work again. They can see like your pull requests, see how you interact, how you take feedback, you know? Yeah. And it just shows like your soft skills as well. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like build, build, build open source if you can or you should. I feel like open source is like me. is like one of the hands down best ways to get a job. If you're not open um,
0: sourcing your projects that are for your job, like to me, that's absolute insanity. Like mm-hmm. you can provide all of this signal up front to the employer. You should You should be doing that.
1: Exactly. And I feel like it makes the interview process even easier because your talking points are just your projects. It's like That's I saw right. this project, like what were like your pain points, etc. Like how did you scale that? And it's like you you basically dictate your own interview in some cases because they just want to know about the stuff you've been building. And they can just look at your work straight up. So like I know like I've interviewed a ton of candidates. When I see open source stuff, I go look and I go look at their GitHub profile and I look at their PRs. And I'm like, man, like he knows what he's doing or he she knows what he's doing, yeah. right? Like, I don't really have much to ask. Like, let's just see if he fits in. You know what I mean? Um, I interviewed so someone
0: like... yesterday that mm-hmm. built a markdown, a markdown linter in Rust. To, okay, to me, that's exactly. like the perfect idea for a backend development project. It was open source, mm-hmm. right? I could go just look through the code. It did something interesting. And he didn't need to build this, you know, front end app in order to show off what it is. It had just mm-hmm. like, you know this is how you install it. So you run it. It does this thing. I couldn't agree more like build, build, build.
1: Yeah. I think one other reality is that depending on your experience level, you will most likely get hit with some leak code-ish type questions. Uh, so it is obviously if you're interviewing somewhere and you don't know that's going to happen and you just get, and you just get blindsided by them, that just means it was a bad company or a bad recruiter. But uh, ideally if there's LeetCode code coming up, you should know that it's going to be happening on in interviews. So I always try to at least know the basics or keep my foundation. What's solid. I'm not saying go grind LeetCode code hearts for 20, 20 years, uh, but at least be able to talk through those problems, right? You don't necessarily have to solve the problem, but you can conceptually like talk about it. Right. And I think that's good enough for a lot of people to be honest. Uh, obviously depending on where you're interviewing, if people talk about the Fang and like, like, you know. They have to weed out people with these kind of processes, Uh, but it's not always true. That's kind of like, it's not always true in most cases. So again, build, 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 open source, please put your work out there for people to see. Obviously, networking is a big thing, right? So tech Twitter, as cringe as tech Twitter is, I think it is a helpful tool and I think it is motivational to be honest to be surrounded by other people that are in the same situation as you trying to find a job right because it can be very alienating doing that by yourself like right now like i see stories of people just applying not getting any responses and they're kind of sitting alone in being miserable but when you can share those experiences with a community it's like it's a lot easier to get through Uh, so i always recommend people to like you know gravitate towards good communities whether it's mine, primes, melkies, whoever, um we all have communities like ultimately we want people to succeed. So, if you need something like that, I would, you know, implore everyone to take that route. But yeah.
0: That's fantastic advice. To distill it down, build 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 and uh, I would almost just say put in the work, be better, make sure that when you do get that interview because there is a certain amount of luck that that's involved with, you know, getting an opportunity to interview just be ready to crush it. And, mm-hmm. and and if you can do that, you're in like the top 20, 10% of candidates in my opinion. Most people don't crush their interviews. Uh, yeah,
1: like there's no worse feeling than knowing knowing that you had an opportunity and you dropped the ball cuz you didn't prepare enough. If you pre- if you if you like studied hard and you and you did bad, I think that's fine, but if like, you didn't get the job because you didn't prepare, that's like such a regretful feeling. And I've done that before where I was like, I know, I knew how to do this. I just didn't prepare. Like, I just try to rely on my current knowledge. And I'm like, and ever since that point, like rejection sucks, right? No one wants to be rejected. It doesn't matter if you prepare or not. So it's like, just knowing that you always did your best and just crush, just try to crush it. That's the best you can do. Right. But yeah, rejection is literally the worst feeling. So I always do my (laughs) best to not feel that ever again. If that means I have to like, sell my soul to get a job. I I don't really have the time now, but you know, I do try hard to make sure like yeah. it's my time, right? I'm, I'm interviewing. If you're going to interview me, I'm going to make sure I put my best foot forward. Uh, one for me and then one for you, like for me and my family. And then obviously for the company. So I can show them that I can do the best work for them and stuff. But yeah.
0: That's fantastic. <sighs> Thanks so much. This is, this has been a great interview. I really enjoyed it. Let everyone know where they can find you. Where, where, where are you online? Where are your platforms?
1: where am i youtube trash dev so trash underscore dev on youtube trash underscore dev on twitch and then uh trash with two h's (laughs) underscore dev on twitter (laughs) because because someone took trash underscore dev and they won't give it to me so that's my destiny
0: it's it's all over
1: (laughs) i know i hate i want it so bad